Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. You know, at every single point in this story of Jonah, at every single point in his life so far that we've seen, God has taken Jonah's plans and completely overturned them. When God called Jonah to go and be a prophet to this wicked city of Nineveh, what did Jonah do? He ran. He ran to the port. He ran onto a ship and tried to run as far as he possibly could to the other side of the known world. But God overturned that plan by sending a massive storm into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And then in the midst of the storm, Jonah had another plan, this time to run again, this time to run to death, to be thrown overboard by these sailors. But God overturned that plan too, didn't he? He sent that giant fish to swallow up Jonah, and there he sat for three days and three nights. And in the belly of that fish, in the midst of his prayer that he's offering to God, he comes up with another plan. And it's not to go to Nineveh, the very place where God called them to go and preach. Instead, it was, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to your holy temple, and I'm going to offer sacrifices there to you, God. But God overturns that plan, too. The fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. And I think that's the only reference to that we'll have this week. He uh, vomits Jonah out onto dry land, and then God commands him at the very beginning of of chapter 3 and overturns his plan to go to Jerusalem. He commands him a second time to go to Nineveh and to preach. At every single point in Jonah's life, in all of Jonah's plans, God has overturned them. And that brings us to the point where we are in this story in Jonah chapter 3, when Jonah finally gets to Nineveh. You know, truthfully, you know, as I, as I read through this text, as I prepared for the sermon this week, I, I kind of came to the realization that I've always wanted to pull a Jonah. Do you know what I mean by that, pulling a Jonah? I don't want to pull a Jonah by running from the calling that God has given me. I don't want to pull a Jonah by having this, this self-centered prayer life and very shallow repentance right alongside of it. I don't even want to pull a Jonah by experiencing what it was like to be stuck in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. What I mean is I want to pull a preaching Jonah. And I think if you were to ask any pastor, they'd probably say the same thing. They would want to pull a preaching Jonah too, because, because literally all you have to do is show up. That's all you have to do. You show up, and you can even show up angry and mopey and throw a pity party for yourself, but, but really, all you have to do is show up. And you stand up and you preach this, this five word, it's five words in Hebrew, you preach this five word sermon, you drop the mic, and you walk back out of the city. And that's it. And the most amazing part is, that this message, it overturns an entire city. These five words causes a city that's so large that it takes three days to walk from one end to another. It overturns an entire city. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be pretty amazing to pull a preaching Jonah? But I won't do that this morning. I won't pull a preaching Jonah because, because honestly, there's a whole lot wrong with, with, with what Jonah does and the way he goes about preaching. Right, like We're not even told that Jonah, when he gets to Nineveh right away, even starts preaching. When he's sitting on that beach and, and the Lord commands him to get up and go to Nineveh and preach, Jonah finally gets up. Okay, act of obedience number one. Jonah actually heads off to Nineveh, act of obedience number two, but he doesn't actually start preaching yet. And so it's like the narrator is trying to get you to, to wonder and to think about Jonah and ask the question, when are you finally going to do the very thing, Jonah, that God has called you to do, which is to actually stand up and preach the word of God. When is he actually going to do it? Well, finally, finally Jonah does get up, but it takes him a day. It takes him walking through this city for a day before he even utters a word to the Ninevites. 
And when he does get up, he does so reluctantly, and it's like he sandbags his entire job, right? A five-word sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. There's no talk of the, of the specific sins of the people, the specific sins of the Ninevites. There's no reference to repentance. There's no reference of the grace and the compassion and the mercy of God, the very grace, mercy, and compassion that he has experienced day in and day out ever since he tried to run from God. There's no mention of that. There's not even an amen in this sermon. Jonah stands up. He preaches five words. He drops the mic. And he takes a one-day hike back out of the city and goes to sit on a hill and wait for the judgment to come on the Ninevites that he thinks that, he, that they deserve. But if you were to have a, a, a competition of all the, the prophets of God in the Old Testament to figure out who the best preacher was, Jonah would not be winning any awards with this sermon. In fact, I, I don't even think that in this story, Jonah is the best preacher. He's kind of second tier compared to the guy I do think is the best preacher in this story, the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh, when he hears Jonah's, Jonah's message, it completely overturns his heart. He hears 40 more days and Nineveh will, Nineveh will be overthrown. And what does he do? He gets up and he rips off his royal robes. He puts on sackcloth and he sits there in the dust. And then he preaches to his people. Listen to what he says. This is at, uh, toward the middle of verse 7, if you want to follow along in your service folders. This is what the king of Nineveh preaches. He says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The sermon of the Ninevite king. I mean, this guy right here, he's, the, he's a wicked king of an incredibly evil city. And yet in this sermon, he does the very thing that God's prophet should have done. He addresses specifically the sins of the people. He urges them to, to have repentant hearts. He tells them to put on sackcloth. He even hopes and trusts in the grace and the mercy of God. And, it, and as you're listening to that sermon from the king of the Ninevites, it's almost as if you can hear the, the, the other Ninevites shouting, Amen. Like, keep preaching. This is amazing. If you hold up these two sermons, the sermon of Jonah and the sermon of the king of the Ninevites, you have to admit that the king of the Ninevites is a far better law, gospel, evangelically-minded, people-oriented, God-loving preacher than Jonah was. And that's what's so frustrating about this whole business in Jonah chapter 3. It's that this is Jonah's second chance. Jonah already tried to run. It didn't work. Jonah tried to kill himself. That didn't work either. And so finally he, he says to God, well, fine, I'll go and do the very thing that you want me to do. But here he is doing everything in Nineveh to screw it up. Because he feels stuck. He feels trapped. He feels like his heart just isn't in it. He feels like that employee who's nearing retirement and, and goes to work every week. And he's there physically, but all he's doing is counting down the days till he's done, and he's not there mentally. And Jonah's like the wife who, who feels trapped in her marriage. And she's there physically, but 
but secretly every single day she's hoping that her husband files for a divorce. She's like the, Jonah's like the student who, who fakes his way through school or the, the, the churchgoer who goes to church every Sunday because he knows that's what he's supposed to do, but, but all the while he's just thinking about the football game and the lunch he's going to eat afterwards. He's just not into it. Jonah is stuck and trapped, and he carries out this job that God gives him to be the preacher to the Ninevites, but he does so reluctantly. He does so without joy and enthusiasm, and it's incredibly sad what Jonah does with the grace that God gave him. It's incredibly sad what people do with the grace that God gives them. And this is why I need that sermon. This is why you and you and you need this sermon. I'm not talking about the words that I'm speaking this morning. I'm talking about Jonah's sermon. Even though Jonah's sermon is, is done reluctantly and it's sandbagging at best, it's a pretty powerful little message, isn't it? Forty days. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. God uses this, this five-word sermon to tell the Ninevites two important truths about himself. Tell us two important truths about himself. The first truth that he reveals in this sermon is that God is incredibly patient. Right? God had every right to, to destroy the, the wicked Ninevites for all of the evil that they had done. He could have very easily rained down fire and brimstone like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah on top of these Ninevites. He could have destroyed them without any, without any, without any inkling or without sending a preacher, but that's not what he does. Instead, God is patient and he sends Jonah to preach a message with the, in the hopes that they would overthrow their hearts, that they would overturn all of their wickedness. God is, is more patient than you and I could ever imagine. The second important truth that God reveals in Jonah's little five-word sermon is that he's the God of the ticking clock. That there's a timetable, right? There's a timetable with God. God says, 40 days, Nineveh. I want you to act now. I want you to be filled with, with awe and wonder. I want you to, to have a, a moral upheaval, a moral overturning of your hearts. I want you to do it and act right now because there's not going to be another chance. Not at all. And it's not that just that the Ninevites could benefit from this message. It's not just that Jonah could have benefited from this message. It's you and me. You and me benefit from this five-word sermon from Jonah, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And when I, when I wrestle with that, that sermon in my own heart and I, and I think about the people in my life, the people I encounter, I, I wrestle with and I wonder, how do people live as if one or both of these truths that God reveals in this sermon, how do they live if, as if those things aren't true? Everybody loves to think that God is patient and he truly is. But most of the time, people live as if the God of the ticking clock doesn't have a timetable at all. They say that we can live and do and think and act in whatever way we want because, because eventually, because God is so patient, he will allow us time. He'll allow us time to return. And, and so I can live in the moment, the here and now, because sometime later on in life, God will give me a chance to repent and turn over my heart and it will all be good. I've heard people say that. I've also had people make the claim to me that, that the idea of a God who is all good who is all compassionate, who is all powerful, who is all gracious, who is all merciful, 
cannot also possibly be the God of, that has a timetable, that can be the God of the ticking clock. Because, because those two things contradict. But let me tell you, it's true. God is incredibly patient, but God does also put a timetable on things. So what are you, in your Christian life, this week, supposed to do with these two truths that we learned from Jonah's sermon? Start the countdown. Start the countdown in your life. One of the most important aspects of the Christian faith is that God calls us to live with a ticking clock. To live with time running short. And in fact, we confess this in the Apostles' Creed. We'll do it in a few minutes here. We say, every time we say the Apostles' Creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. There is a timetable with this. And so how do you want to live your life? Do you want to live as if you have infinite time and completely disregard the truths that God says in Scripture? Or do you want to live for God? God has called you to live with this ticking clock going on in your life. As an employee, God calls you to, to work at a job where you're either counting down the days so you can start a new job or you're counting down to the days to retirement. Both are important. Both are awesome. God be praised for that. But in that job, give it, give it your all for the Lord. Live for him. In a marriage, God calls spouses to love one another and not with a love that's contingent on some sort of action-reaction, not a love that's even contingent on forgiveness. God calls you to love unconditionally. Love your spouse. So in your marriage, give it your all for the Lord. In whatever way, in, in whatever calling in your life where you are feeling lethargic, you are feeling reluctant like Jonah, you are feeling lazy, put a timer on it. Start a countdown on it. 40 more days. And do you know what that does? It gives you a sense of urgency in your calling. It gives you, it, it gives you a sense of expediency in whatever you do. It makes every action that you take, every word that you speak, every thought that you think pregnant with meaning and purpose and this is exactly what it did for the Ninevites, right? It's exactly what it did. These Ninevites, they had faith in the God of the ticking clock, and it completely had an impact, not just on the king, not just on a few of them, but on the entire city. It overturned the entire city. And you know what it moved them to do? It moved them to fast. It moved them to put on sackcloth. They even put sackcloth on their dogs and their cats and their cows, and they sat down in dust, and they didn't know if any of it was going to work. They didn't know if, if their repentance, if their actions were going to work because, because they weren't really quite sure about who this God was. They trusted in his grace and his mercy, but, but even the king of Nineveh admits, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will yet relent. But every single one of you here this morning, every single one of you, you know the God of the ticking clock by name. You know him as Jesus. You know him as this Jesus who willingly suffered for you so that you would never have to suffer. You know this God of the ticking clock is one who, who not just may relent, but who already did relent of all of his anger and wrath over sin because his son Jesus, he took it all and he suffered and died. And he said forever and for all to each and every one of you, forgiven. And the stamp, the seal of approval for that forgiveness is found on Easter morning in the empty tomb. You live with the God of the ticking clock as your God. And since the day that Jesus rose back from the dead, 
A countdown has begun. Not a countdown to a day that you have to fear, a day of judgment, but a day of blessedness for you when he will call each one of you home to be with him and there will be an upheaval. There will be an overthrowing of things, of the sin and the death and the decay and the destruction that you face. What are you supposed to do this week with these two truths? Not only that you know that God is patient, not only that you know you have a God of the ticking clock, what does your life look like this week, knowing those truths? Can I make a suggestion? Don't pull a half-hearted Jonah. Because your life is far too precious and far too valuable to God to do that. Can I make another suggestion, though? How about you pull a Nineveh? Pull a Nineveh. But instead of Instead of fasting, take care of your bodies because they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Instead of putting on sackcloth, clothe yourselves in the, in the majesty and the beauty that is the righteousness of God that is found in Christ Jesus your Lord. Call on the name of your God along with the Ninevites and allow him to work through his word to overturn your hearts, to enable you to say, to, to say yes to him and to say no to Jesus. Jesus paid the price for all of the lethargic ways in which you treat your callings, for all of the times that you are angry and mopey and, and throw a pity party for yourself and you don't want to carry out something that God has done for you. Jesus has paid for it all. And now go and live like that. Because the countdown for grace starts now. What a beautiful countdown that truly is. Amen.